0: Turn with me to the book of 1 Peter chapter 4. Today's passage will start in verse 7 and it'll go all the way to 11. As Paul mentioned, we're still, we're almost done with our series on how to act as a church and today we're going to talk about uh, worship through service, how we serve in the church. And a few things to think about as we go into this is We are the body of christ and uh, christ is the head of the church and when we think about that and we biblically look at that there are two ways to look at that and uh, there's the universal church the body of believers throughout the world and we are a part of that universal church and uh it's interesting i was talking to a a friend of mine a while back and It was a few years ago, and he had went to a conference, and um, I texted him to see how it was going at this conference, and he said he felt like he was in heaven. And what he meant by this was the fact that he was surrounded by a bunch of believers, that uh, these people had made sacrifices to uh, leave their families for a few days and also expenses that they had to pay to go here. good Bible teaching and preaching and great music, and uh, all those people there were there because they really wanted to be there. These were just wonderful Christian people, and he felt like he was in heaven. And I know it was kind of interesting the way he put that, because when I've been to conferences and stuff, too, it is interesting how... Uh, you go into this, all these people are there and they're holding the doors open for you and smiling and acting like you're, you're great friends even though you don't even know their names and it's just a beautiful thing and so this is how the universal church works. When we go on vacation, sometimes my wife and I will visit other churches and it's just great to go in there and just see the fellowship of believers in the local church, in the communities out there and um, and... To see how that works, so this is the universal church. We are the local church. This is the community of believers in this area that get together weekly and sometimes more than weekly to um, just be a church family. This this family is more involved in lives of each other. It's just a crucial part of our walk with the Lord, and. Um, this local church, not only do we gather for worship and prayer and through Bible reading and teaching and songs, we also serve one another too. This is vital to our life as Christians. In 1 Peter chapter 4, 7-11, I'm going to read this, and, um, and then we'll go ahead and go into this passage and talk a little bit about it. Again, 1 Peter 4, verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each of us has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, I am so grateful to come up here and communicate your word, Lord. I just pray, Lord, as we go through this passage, Lord, that there's something important, something vital that we can learn from it, Lord. Something that we can take to heart. Something that will change our relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ. I just pray, Lord, as I go through this passage, too, that you would keep me from error, Lord. That I am communicating your word the way you would want it to be communicated. And I just thank you for that opportunity. I thank you for your love for us, Lord, that you would just save us from our sins, Lord. We are undeserving of that. We are all sinners. We deserve eternal death because of this, yet you would send your Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins, to live that perfect life, to show us obedience in you. So that alone, Lord, is just the basis of where we start, and then just extends from there. Just thank you for our time together today. In Jesus' name, I pray these things. Amen. In this passage, Peter is talking to believers within this province of the Roman Empire at this time. Rome has went through a a huge fire. Uh, It devastated a good portion of Rome at this time. Many people were killed. And Nero was the emperor of Rome. And he he had issues with the way Rome looked. He didn't like it. And he also loved to build. So Nero was taking the blame for this huge fire. And there were some inconsistencies of how this fire started and spread. And so there was a lot of issues about that and since Nero was taking the blame for that he decided to offload this blame onto Christians Christians are already uh, not looked well upon within the Roman Empire at this time because of their sinlessness they didn't get into the issues that the Romans had this sensuality, these passions, drunkenness, orgies, as it talks about prior to our passage here, they were involved in this. And Christians wouldn't get involved in this. In fact, it says, when I look at this passage, it goes, uh, it, with res- in verse 4 it says, And with respect this, to this, they were surprised. Meaning that they weren't getting involved with these uh drunkenness and this, these orgies and drinking parties and lawlessness, idolatry. And when you did not join them in the same flood of debauchery, they maligned you. They would slander them. So it just seemed easy to blame them for these fires at this time. So Peter's writing to them to encourage them during this struggle, this huge struggle that they were going to through at this time. Peter says, he starts out in verse 7, he says, The end of all things is at hand. And what he's referring to is the second coming of Jesus Christ. The first coming, Jesus comes as a, a baby. The Messiah is the Son of God, the creator of the universe, the sustainer of life, comes as a baby, the form of a human. And he's laid in this manger, this trough. And we think about a trough, we think about just these slimy-nosed cows, this livestock with saliva licking this trough clean of food. And now we lay the Son of God in this trough. So humble. He comes as a suffering servant, and this is how he starts in this world. The suffering servant comes in humility, and it goes on. He lives this perfect life. He shows what it means to be obedient to the Father. He works miracles. He tells people of their sin. He's a great teacher. Only God could bring out the words that this man is saying. Many hearts are not changed, though, through this. In Philippians 2.8, it goes on and it talks about this. We talked about, I had a small group of young men, fifth and sixth grade guys, um, last Wednesday night, night. And we talked about this particular passage, but this verse in particular. In Philippians 2.8, it says, and it talks again about our creator, sustainer of life, our forgiver of sins. Says this about him. It says, and being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death. He dies. This death it says, even death on a cross. This would be a criminal's death. This torture and death would be reserved for the lowest of low of all people out there. Our Savior, our sustainer of life, our giver of life, our creator goes to this point for us. This is huge. So Peter's talking about the second coming of Christ, though. Christ will come a second time. This time, he will be a conquering king. Evil will be destroyed. Justice will be served. The earth will be restored and God will be victorious at this point. This is huge. And Peter reminds his believers to be prepared for this. Here's a few things to consider as we go through God's word as we think about the second coming of Christ. Luke 18.8 says this, I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the Son of man returns, how many will he find on the earth who have faith? 1 John 2:28 says this, "And now little children abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming." We need to be prepared. Peter's reminding them of this as they are suffering, going through this persecution in Rome. 2 Corinthians 5 9 through 10 tells us this. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him, for we must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. On a more positive note, in 1 John 3, 2-3, it talks a little bit more about the second coming of Christ. It says, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Christ is sinless, and the only way that we can be sinless is because of his righteousness. The only way we can be pure is because of his purity. So there is a preparation and an anticipation of Christ's return that Peter is telling these believers at this point. He goes on from there and he says, Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. He says, be eternally minded. The self-controlled thinking, be a sound judgment. Fix your mind on holiness. Separate yourselves from sin. You are a holy people. Get away from the sin. Get away from those friendships that lead you away from Christ. It doesn't do you any good. Separate yourself. You're not going to bring people to Christ by being like them. We are a different people, we are holy. And it's obvious back then they were doing this because they were being slandered because of this. But stay the course. And this is all for the sake of your prayers. It says this this, Holy communion with God is not to be distracted with the world or any situation that would get in our relationship with our Lord and Savior. So for the sake of your prayers, be self-controlled and sober-minded. From verse 7 to verse 8, it changes from our relationship with God to our relationships with each other. It's kind of interesting when we think about this, the devastation that they're going through and the, just the troubles that they are they are dealing with at this time. Peter is reminding them how to deal with this. And um, he goes into verse 8 and it says this, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. We worship with love to one another in the body, and it's just crucial. We know in Matthew 22, 37 Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is so critical. This is first and foremost in what we do in our lives. This is our relationship with the Lord. Love is foundational in our walk, in our Christian life. It's foundational. It's the platform that everything else sits on. It's something to remember. And it goes on. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like this. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law, the prophets hang on these two commandments. Everything hangs on these two commandments when we think about love. It's so critical. 1 John 3, 15 takes it to a different level even. It says, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And it's so difficult. We have difficult relationships with people, but to go to the point of hate, it makes us a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him as the verse goes on. So we really have to think about our relationships with people. We really have to think about it when we struggle with others. Where is our heart? And it's not easy. But this is our command. This is our life. Proverbs 10, 12 says, Hatred stirs up conflict but love covers over all wrongs. I was talking about this in the last service, but I think of our brother, Andy Craig. and br- Andy Craig and I worked for many years together in children's ministries, and I, I just love Andy, and his just his heart for the Lord. He, his pursuit for holiness was huge, and just a testimony. When we were together at church, there's one thing, but when, when him and I were out doing what we need to do and working together, you still saw him stay the course, never go off course. And one thing about this, when I think about hatred stirs up conflict, but love covers all wrongs, I think about how we would work together on something, and sometimes things weren't going just right. But one thing I loved about Andy is, no matter how much I irritated him, he wouldn't show it (laughs) too much. (laughs) One thing I loved about Andy is, he would bury that and move on. He could do it. Yeah. One thing I know about Andy is he doesn't go talk to other people about his, his issues with me. I could tell. There's a way you can tell. Talk to his wife. <laughs> it's the interaction with somebody's wife that tells you a lot about what they think of you. And his wife always act like I was some kind of superstar or something. So I know he'd only say good things. I don't know how he did it, but he did. And uh, I just appreciated his heart. So hatred stirs up conflict, but love covers all wrongs. And I, it's so funny how I would think of Andy right away when I thought of that. Love doesn't excuse sin. This is something vital we have to remember in our lives. It doesn't excuse sin. In fact, in James chapter 5, verse 20, it says, Remember this, whoever turns a sinner from his error <laughs> of their way will save them from death and cover a multitude of sins. So important that we help people stay on course with their lives. It's so important that we understand that they're in sin, that we point that sin out to them in humility. We are all sinners. I think of the passage where Paul writes in 2 Timothy 3.16, or not 2 Timothy, in 1 Timothy 1.15, he says this, Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. That's where you can start correction when you've humbled yourself to the point of the person you're correcting you can look at them and say I'm worse than you though however brother however sister you're in a path and it's leading you down the wrong road and you need help and you need to understand this so there's this humility That needs to come before correction. This is why we do church discipline. It's not easy. Unfortunately, through church discipline, there is a a system to go through there that makes sense. We go to our brother in sin, and we talk to him about that. If he doesn't listen, we take another brother, try to encourage him to change his course. Occasionally, we can't do that, and it comes to that last level. And the whole idea of this is to win that brother back, to change his course. This is done in love. And when we do this discipline, we have to think about this. We have to understand where is our hearts before we go and discipline them. But Second Timothy 3.16 reminds us that all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training of righteousness so that the man of God will be thoroughly equipped to do a good work. And part of that is through discipline. We know that sin comes with consequences too. And again, this comes back, it's hard to deal with sin sometimes when it's just so blatant and so wrong and and how do you respond to people sometimes and Again, this comes back to doing a heart check. Is there any bitterness in my heart as I deal with this? I have to think about that. I have to clear the bitterness away. Is there any pride in my heart because they've done a sin that I haven't done? shouldn't be any pride. I'm a weak wretch myself. I could fall in a moment to any sin out there. I pray to sin. Is there any selfishness involved in this? And when you can clear that from your heart, you can go in and do the correcting at that point. But I think one thing, I know one thing that we need to remember is earnest love requires earnest humility. Again, that's putting yourself below that person that is in sin. As understanding that where you're at doesn't put you on a pedestal, make you a judge. God is ultimately the judge. So again, earnest love requires earnest humility. The rest of this passage will show us how love works, and this is through serving. Verse 9 talks about showing hospitality. It says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. I think this is interesting without grumbling. Hospitality isn't necessarily just to the body, but it also is to strangers as well as we look at this. Back then when Peter wrote this, obviously hospitality would have been huge. There's a lot of persecution going on. There's a lot of needs to be met. People probably running from one home or they're displaced from their home through this fire. They need help. Obviously when... This hospitality has to take place. It's going to uh, strain your resources. It's not easy. It's also going to cause you some grief because you don't know, as this persecution is going on, that you'll be found out or what will happen to you by taking other people in. I'm sure it was very stressful back then. But, It was a vital ministry that went on. This is the church. This is the body. And it had to happen. Many would be hiding from dangerous situations. They would even be conducting church in their homes during this time. Wow. And that would be risky. But it had to be done. Even today, many churches throughout the world go through the same thing. There's so much persecution going on. And they do these home churches, and they, they secretly do these So, because, again, of the risk that is involved in this. However, in these areas where this persecution is happening, we hear that the church is growing immensely. <laughs> so when we look at this show hospitality to one another without grumbling, That shouldn't be too difficult. Us. i think of my mom when i think of hospitality is kind of interesting because my mom always lets you know exactly what she thought of everybody <laughs> she pulled no punches it was just like here's what she thought however when somebody would show up to our house <laughs> she was a different lady it was like she was so glad that they would come by that uh, they would stop by for we're only stopping by for a minute. It didn't ever work that way. The coffee would come out. The, the tea would come out. Snacks would come out. <laughs> Sometimes ashtrays would come out. And uh, my mom did not like smoking. However, if we had company that smoked, they could smoke in the house. <laughs> And I thought that was kind of interesting because nobody smoked in the house. Our house would smell like, a, I mentioned this earlier, a casino for a few days after that. My mom would never complain. Somebody came up to me after this, uh, um, the last message that I, I preached and they said, so when were you in a casino? <laughs> <laughs> so I'd explain that one too, but anyway, not very many times. <laughs> but anyway, It would stink, uh, but my mom would never complain. She was so honored that people would stop by to visit, even though they didn't know that they were gonna stop by that long, but it was just a huge honor to her. It meant so much to my mom. This was hospitality. I think of hospitality within our church, and and I'm sure there's many people hospitable out there. We've been to many homes, and very gracious when we go there, and uh, we're grateful, especially because of the way we cook. (laughs) So it's always good to have a good meal out there. I'm not trying to get dinner tonight or anything like that, but it's just, we're grateful. And uh, so there's great hospitality going on out there, but we have a church building. The church is the body of believers. However, we have a church building where we meet. And it is my hope and my prayer that many of you are reaching out to new people that come here, making sure that they are comfortable, that they uh, feel comfortable, like family when they come here again we have the universal church coming to kent to this area and then we have many coming from different countries to this area to live but also coming to our church just great opportunity to share and love this universal church and those that aren't even saved it's just what a wonderful time to show hospitality to them and a very critical and important time to do that Many people will come here. I try to meet them and say hi to them, and, and um, I ask them, you know, what they're looking for in a church, and, and um, I always think that they are at the right church when they come here, and, uh, you know, I, but I, I let them know that, well, okay, you're looking for a church. I, you know, I think this is the right one, but I will be praying for you as you're looking for that right church. It's always so important. And I don't know why, but maybe this might not be a good fit. But however, again, as we look at this universal church, this is the body. We want to pray for them and we want them to find a good church home that is a good fit for them too, even as they're in our area. So just because I think this is the best church, it may not be. However, I have brothers and sisters in Christ that need to find a good church home and to serve. That's hospitality. 10 and 11b it says as each has received a gift use it to serve one another as good stewards of god's very grace this very grace there is um, a list of gifts that uh, we can see in romans um and in first corinthians and ephesians there's kind of a list and some of those gifts we don't use today because that was for that time period the apostolic age when Uh, The church first started up. We have the full counsel of God right now. So there are some gifts that we don't exercise, we don't use. uh, There's no need. However, there's other gifts and categories that uh, those gifts would fall in. I think if you were here for Sunday school, that discussion went a little further on that. But, however, when we talk about being good stewards of God's very grace, these are, are, there's So many gifts out there, you can't count them, you know. And it's just, it's vast. And many won't even know what their gifts are. It's kind of interesting, I was listening to something, on uh, John MacArthur talking about this, and he said that although he teaches, he really doesn't know what his gift is. And so you may not know what your gift is. But that's okay. Goes on eleven. It says, "Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, this is most likely teaching and preaching. Whoever serves as one who serves serves by the strength that God supplies." And again, this is for the body. This is for gifts that we use to serve one another. Each believer is given a spiritual gift. Won't you place your faith? In the Lord, this gift is going to work its way out of you. Nobody is without a gift. It's something to think about. This supernatural gift is used for a special ministry within the body. And God gives these gifts to take care of his church. He wants you to be a good steward of those gifts as well. It's interesting when I think about our church serving I uh, there was somebody I saw in the prayer chain somebody was in the hospital last year and then they moved into the rehab and I drive by this rehab place on my way home from work and um, I kept thinking I got to stop by I got to stop by and um, I got to check on him finally I, I stopped by and I checked on him and um, in the rehab place it's, it's a very hectic place we're trying to take care of people it was busy there and uh so care is kind of limited um, to what they can do there. It's just a difficult situation. And when I went to see this person, they were so grateful that I stopped by. So so gracious to me, you know, in the midst of this chaos, you know. <laughs> and this has nothing to do with my gift. Anyway, this wasn't a gift. But anyway, it's just... but. This was the important part. She started listing off the people that had stopped by already to visit her. So many people in this church, in this body that had stopped by to see her. And she was just so much gratitude and joyful over this. And not only did she list the people that had stopped by, some she listed how many times they had stopped by, and she also talked about what they were doing for her during this as well. It's just beautiful to see how the body of Christ is at work, yet we don't know exactly what's going on out there. Many times I'll stop by the church uh, during the day or something, midweek to get something, pick something up, or do something, and I'll see a car or two out here. People serving, people doing things. Not for credit. Not for accolades. Just because they want to serve the Lord. And so again, we may not see these things going on, but they're going on. And I'm so grateful to everyone that does that. It's just a beautiful thing. Peter takes these gifts, he splits them up into two categories. He talks about speaking gifts and serving gifts. And again, these gifts um, don't just stop there. I mean, it's just kind of a broad category, but whatever the case, you have this gift, and it's important to to use it. There's a book that came out by Kevin DeYoung. I guess somebody told me after service, last service, that uh, there's a girls group going through this, I guess. But anyway, uh, Kevin DeYoung, and uh, it's called Just Do Something. <laughs> and it's kind of funny. I bought this book at a conference many years ago, and it sat on the table, and um Just said, just do something. And it goes on. And I pick it up. I look at the cover. It says, "A Liberating Approach to Finding God's Will," or "How to Make Decisions Without Dreams, Visions, Fleeces, Impressions, Open Doors, Random Bible Verses, Casting Lots, Liver Shivers." I don't know what that is. Writing in the Sky. Basically, what Kevin DeYoung is saying in here is, "Just do something." And I highly encourage you if you don't know what your spiritual gift is, pick up this book and leave it sitting on your table because, because the title alone will kind of remind you, I just need to do something. You may not know what that gift is, but do something. Just do something. We finish up in verse 11 and says, In order that everything God may be glorified through Christ Jesus. The reason why we use these gifts, these, we serve one another, is ultimately to glorify God. It's not about ourselves. We're not here for ourselves. We're not on planet Earth for ourselves. Our salvation doesn't stop at the forgiveness of sins, too. Something critical to remember this is where eternity starts for us. This is where our eternal life gets going. We start serving at this point. And although we don't choose these gifts, we are commanded to use them. And as we use them, God is glorified through this. Not us, the Lord is. But we get to jump on for the ride. And it's a beautiful thing. So it's just something to think about as we think about how we can serve the Lord. This is a mandate in our lives, but it's also a blessing. It's a beautiful thing to see as it is at work within our body. It's a beautiful thing to see as we see the church universal and how that works too. And uh, again, if you have any struggles finding that, get that book. Just do something. It might give you some direction. (laughs) Let's pray. Heavenly Father, just so grateful, Lord, that you would give gifts to us, Lord. I personally have been blessed through those gifts, Lord. Many others have too. And may this church just abound in serving one another, Lord. It's critical. It's a mandate. Yet, it's your love pouring out on other believers through other believers. This is so great. Let's pray, Lord, as we consider this, we think about how our lives should be not distracted by the sinful world, Lord. We should be focused on the second coming of Christ. This will be awesome to see him, his face, Lord, our Savior, our creator, our sustainer of life. We should be excited about this, and we should be found holy in his sight at this point, too. So may we pursue holiness with our life, Lord. And may you be glorified through that. In Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen.